0: With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Good day, everyone, and welcome once again to the 50 Years Ago in Hockey Podcast. This is our 135th weekly episode. I'm your host, Rick Cole, and every week right here on the Hockey Podcast Network, we take a trip down memory lane, back in time 50 years, and we bring you all the news from that era, exactly as it was reported by some of the greatest sports writers of all time. This week, it's June 5th to 11th in 1972. If you like what we do here every week on the Hockey Podcast Network and every day on Twitter, you can help us out a lot by going to patreon.com slash hockey50years and subscribe to the podcast. Our subscribers get early access to each week's free podcast, and we have some interesting uh, special episodes that we put out from time to time for subscribers' benefit. Uh, we got some pretty neat stuff coming in this offseason, which, of course, is so meaningful in 1972, what with the World Hockey Association starting up and the Summit Series scheduled for september so that's patreon.com slash hockey 50 years to subscribe bit of personal lop Information for us here, just a, a, an update that uh, long COVID had my brains a bit scrambled earlier this week. We seem to be back on track now, but it had us uh, uh, having a little problem putting things together. But we managed to get things back on track for now. Uh, we're getting better all the time. We've got a lot going on uh, this this summer. <laughs> and uh for the next couple of weeks we'll be taking a bit of a break as we're going on a much needed vacation. We haven't been anywhere really since uh before the pandemic started and we're heading to the Canada's eastern provinces. We're going to spend be spending 2 weeks in New Brunswick, Prince Edward Island and Nova Scotia and it should be it should be a good time. I love the east uh eastern Canada, the whole vibe down there and uh The seafood, of course. We'll be probably putting on a little bit of weight over the next couple of weeks. So let's get to all the news from this week. This was the biggest uh, week for late spring, early summer hockey news. And I have to tell you, there's a lot going on that we're going to try and pack into this episode. We're going to take you day by day through the week. Uh, It was the week of the National Hockey League Annual Meetings. And uh, they ran Monday through Thursday, and that's when pretty well all of the news was made. So we're going to give you all that, starting, of course, on Monday morning. So the week began on Monday with the usual glad-handing, uh, reporters searching for quotes, various team officials huddling in corners of the Queen Elizabeth Hotel lobby, or jumping on elevators to carry on uh, discussions in a more private setting. And of course, that had been going on since Sunday when most of the guys began arriving for the meetings. Uh, Monday was the day of the National Hockey League Intraleague draft. Now that's the draft where National Hockey League teams can choose players unprotected from other players in the leagues. Teams were allowed to protect 18 skaters and in this draft because it was an expansion year goalkeepers were exempt. Nobody could, uh, they didn't have to protect goalkeepers. And The Atlanta Flames and Long Island New York Islanders were not allowed to participate in this event because technically they had not yet joined the NHL that would officially happen on the day of the expansion draft. Buffalo Sabers general manager Punchimlak was one who was, of course, never shy about uh, giving a quote to a reporter, and he wasn't at all reticent to discuss what he was looking for in the intra league draft. He wanted a veteran defenseman or two to shore up the Sabers' rather ineffective blue line core. Now, here's how that draft unfolded. Not a lot of movement. But uh, something in this draft turned out to be very significant quite a while later. The first round was kicked off by Vancouver, who had the first order of selection, as Clarence Campbell would say. And they select took a, a young forward by the name of Don Tannehill from the Boston Bruins, and they dropped from their roster Ron Ward, who, of course, as you know, had been signed by the New York Raiders of the World Hockey Association last week. Now, Boston could pick up Ward, as the rules allowed, or they could take the claiming price of what I believe was this year $40,000. $40, Picking next, the Los Angeles Kings took a young defenseman Named Barry Long from the Chicago Blackhawks They dropped forward Bill Orban Orban who once before belonged to Chicago Was going back there as the Hawks took him to fill Buffalo picking third took defenseman Tim Horton From the Pittsburgh Penguins And they dropped right winger Danny Lawson I was a little surprised by that Pittsburgh took the 40 grand instead of Lawson the California Seals, Philadelphia Flyers, Detroit Red Wings, Pittsburgh Penguins, and St. Louis Blues then all passed, but it wasn't over. The Maple Leafs took forward Larry Plo from Canadians. Plo, as you know, had signed with the New England Whalers, but the Leafs decided to take him in what must have been a pre-arranged deal because the Leafs dropped defenseman Brad Selwood who also signed with the New England Whalers but Montreal claimed Selwood as was their right that gave them a defenseman to expose in the expansion draft because you have to protect you have to take like put a guy out there and that's what they were doing the rule is very complicated in that matter the rest of the round saw Minnesota Chicago Montreal Rangers and Boston pass there was a second round. Vancouver took forward Jerry O'Flaherty from Toronto and dropped, ju- dropped WHA jumper Jim Nykamp, a defenseman. O'Flaherty is the son of the Canucks Chief Scout, Peanuts O'Flaherty. The Leafs uh, did not claim Nykamp; They took the forty grand. The Kings took, claimed their second player, right winger Doug Volmar from Detroit, and they dropped winger Lucien Grenier. Detroit took the the cash. All the rest of the teams passed. And, of course, they all passed in the third round. Now, here's where it gets kind of uh, interesting to me. Uh, and something very insignificant. When Vancouver drafted Don Tannehill from Boston with that first pick, and some say this was a prearranged deal, but I was never able to find confirmation of that. Now, thanks to the draft rules this year, a team could only lose one player. So, the Bruins did not have to lose anybody else in this draft. Now, if you remember, we said Buffalo's Punch Imlac was looking for a veteran defenseman. The man at the top of Punch Imlac's list was Boston defenseman Ted Green. He hadn't been protected. When Vancouver grabbed Tannehill, who by the way was a good cho- choice by the Canucks, that ended Green's availability. So that meant Punch Imlach, when his turn came up, had to go for his second choice, which was Penguins defenseman Tim Horton, who had told friends and reporters that he was retiring to take care of his burgeoning donut business in southern Ontario. Now, Imlac knew that Tim might be convinced to continue playing in Buffalo, which was close enough to Horton's home in Toronto so that he could continue running that donut business in Southern Ontario and play hockey for the Sabres. So what's all this mean? Well, the bottom line is if Vancouver had not taken a Boston player with that first pick, Ted Green likely would have been available for Buffalo to take instead of Horton. Tim Horton would not have gone to Buffalo in that draft. He then would have retired and would not on February 21st, 1974, a couple of years later, he would not have been driving his Ford Pantera at high speeds on the Queen Elizabeth Highway going back to Buffalo from Toronto. Funny how uh, history takes its twists and turns and you never know how things are going to work out. Lots of other Monday news. National Hockey League statistician Ron Andrews has sounded a somber note on the eve of the league meeting last night. Speaking at a sports seminar in Hamilton last week, Andrews said about expansion, I don't know how long the fans will keep paying. I don't see how they can keep raising prices and wages with what looks like an inferior product. This is a guy high on the NHL ladder talking about an inferior product the answer according to Andrews might be in international hockey Andrews noted that the eight new teams that have joined the NHL since 1967 had a lower overall win percentage in the 71-72 season than they had since expansion even started Anderson said I don't, he doesn't know what the answer is. It may be to drop the protected list. I wonder how long LeBron Andrews is going to last in the NHL now. A few NHL signings for a Monday. The Penguins inked center Silaps, left winger Steve Cardwell, and defenseman Daryl Edestrand. The Blues got Gary Unger under contract, and the Flyers signed three men a couple of defensemen in Ed Van Imp and Jean Poffan, and forward Ross Lonsberry. Montreal Gazette carried a story that Bob Pulford, a starry center left winger in the NHL for 16 years, will be named the coach of the Los Angeles Kings for next season. The appointment would be announced this week, and it would be later on in the week during the meetings. Pulford replaces Freddie Glover, who was fired at the end of last season. The report also said that Glover reportedly would get the coaching job with the Chicago Cougars in the WHA. Now, Pulford is accompanying Kings general manager Larry Regan at the meetings, and he played for the Maple Leafs for 14 years before going to the Kings a couple of years ago. He's a soft-spoken type. Pulley is known around the league, uh, has always commanded great respect. Bob Pulford, probably a pretty good choice to coach the Kings. A lot of Monday discussion on the amateur draft, which of course is to be held on Thursday of this week. By Monday afternoon, thanks to comments from the various GMs, at least the first four picks seemed to be firmly decided. The Islanders had the first overall pick thanks to winning a coin toss with fellow expansionists uh, Atlanta Flames Islanders general manager Bill Torrey confirmed that Toronto Marlboro winger Billy Harris would be his man or I guess really a boy at this point these guys are just just kids Cliff Fletcher of Atlanta played just a bit coy and finally, on the eve of the draft, would admit that Quebec Ramparts forward Jacques Richard would be the Atlanta selection. He'd at least have a fellow French Canadian to help him out with Bernie Jeffrion as the coach. Bud Poyle, general manager of the Canucks and never at a loss for words, said last week he'd already signed his draft pick. Even though he didn't know who he was going to be, well, on Monday he was happy to proclaim that Niagara Falls Flyers forward Don Lever would be the first choice of the Canucks. And at number four sat the Montreal Canadiens. Using the pick acquired long ago from the Los Angeles Kings and their general manager Sammy Pollock advised reporters that his preference was to grab another Toronto Marlboro that would be left winger Steve Schutt, whom Pollock figured could make the Habs in his first season. We'll come back uh, to this uh, with the Thursday news later in the program. There's a little bit of player movement on Monday. The Sabres farmhand Terry Ball told the Cincinnati Inquirer, that's where he played in the American League this year, that he was signing with the Minnesota Fighting Saints of the WHA. Jim Harrison, still of Toronto at that time of the week, fired agent Howard Casper. That was the, uh, he was the mouthpiece for Bernie Perron, if you remember. And he hired a fellow from Toronto to look after his interests uh, a fellow, he said, could devote full time to, to those uh, interests. And the uh, the uh, Philadelphia Daily News reported the former Flyer and present Blackhawk Andre Lacroix was headed to the new Philadelphia Blazers to rejoin his old teammate Bernie Peratt. Tuesday was the main event. The New York Islanders Atlanta Flames expansion draft and the Pickens were pretty. Slim. In this draft, the Flames had the first pick of the goalers with New York getting the first skater. General managers Bill Torrey and Cliff Fletcher had tough jobs in this particular event. Not only were they going to have to figure out who the best players for their franchises were, but they had the added bonus, if you want to call it that, of trying to determine which of the guys who were available were or already had signed with the World Hockey Association. And this would prove to be very important during each of these teams' first season. Now, before the draft, the protected lists were published. Here's some of the more prominent names available to the two clubs. From Boston, you had Johnny McKenzie, Eddie Westfall, Teddy Green, and a young goalie by the name of Danny Bouchard. Buffalo uh, put available defenseman Mike Robitaille and the veteran Larry Hillman. The Seals... We're making Wayne Carlton, Norm Ferguson, Ernie Hickey, and Marshall Johnson available from the Blackhawks, Brian Campbell, Andrew Lacroix, Eric Nesterenko, Lou Angotti, Jerry Desjardins. Uh, Not much from the Red Wings, mainly uh, Leon Rochefort, Joe Daly. The Kings left Bob Pulford available, but everybody and his brother knew Pulley was going to become the coach, so they weren't going to draft him anyway. The North Stars, the veteran Charlie Burns, a couple other veterans, uh, Ted Hampson and Craig Cameron were there, along with goalkeeper Gilles Gilbert, and that would be very interesting. I thought for sure Gilbert might be the first goalie pick, but things change. Montreal players available were Chuck Leftley, Brad Selwood, Dale Hoganson, Bob Murdoch, Phil Meir, and... Dennis DeJordy. The Canadians did not want to lose Murdoch, and they would arrange that they would not. From the Rangers, best players available was uh, Ste or Glenn Sather. The Flyers had Lou Morrison, Wayne Hillman, and Cowboy Flett sitting there for the taking. From the Penguins, a uh, three vet, real strong veterans: Les Binkley, Kenny Schinkel, and Eddie Shack. None of whom would be chosen. The Blues put out Carl Brewer, but Carl seems to have worn out his welcome in the NHL. Also there was a good forward, Terry Crisp. The Maple Leafs left Brian Spencer, Billy McMillan, Denny DuPerry, Guy Trottier, and Don Marshall. And the Canucks only had Pat Quinn and John Schella as players of note. Here is how that expansion draft actually unfolded. The very first pick of the draft, it was it with the goaltenders, uh, just showed how brilliant Sammy Pollock of the Canadians actually was. Atlanta selected goalie Phil Mir. Now, this is notable because the Canadians did not have to expose a goalkeeper in this draft because they had lost a goalie in the Buffalo-Vancouver expansion draft, that being one rocky far so the canadians lost rocky far they didn't have to protect one this time but they let atlanta take mirror knowing atlanta had the first pick in the draft sammy Pollock went to his old fl- friend cliff fletcher and he said cliffy here's what we're going to do you take phil Mir because i don't want him i don't need him he's a good goalkeeper you'll like him lots but I would need to fill in with Chuck Lefley, and that's exactly what Pollock did. He basically traded Phil Meir for Chuck Leftley, and that was a deal Sammy very badly wanted to make. The same thing happened with the Islanders and the Blackhawks. The Islanders took Jerry Desjardins from Chicago, and the Blackhawks filled with a young, robust forward by the name of Dan Maloney. So Maloney, although he had been left off the Chicago list, never was available to be picked because of the goofy rule where they let the teams fill with skaters as a result of the goalie draft. Round two, Atlanta took Dan Bouchard, and the Bruins took John McKenzie as their fill, and then the Islanders took an unheralded young guy by the name of Bill Smith from the Kings, and the Kings filled with Bob Wojtowicz. The first round pick, the Islanders had that, and they took defenseman Bart Crashley from Montreal. Really? Bart Crashley? That, of course, allowed Montreal to fill with defenseman Bob Murdoch. Now, why would New York take a guy like Bart Crashley with so many other good players available? Well, you'll find out about that a day or so later. After the draft, now Atlanta's first pick was equally surprising. The legendary defenseman Carey Ketter was claimed from Montreal, and of course, what that meant was that Montreal had now lost three players, and no, they could not have any other players taken in the draft. Of course, the choices of Crashley and Ketter were arranged by Sam. In round two, the Islanders get Dave Hudson from Chicago who fill with John Marks and the Flames took Normie Graton from the Rangers, former line mate of Richard Martin and Gilbert Perrault. He goes to Atlanta and the Rangers fill with Glenn Sather. Round three saw New York taking Eddie Westfall from the Bruins who filled with Nick Beverly and the Flames got defenseman Ronnie Harris from the Red Wings. Leon Rochefort goes back on the Detroit protected list. Round four, Gary Peters, the MVP in the AHL was taken from Boston by the Islanders and that filled Boston's requirement of three players lost, no fill required. Atlanta took Larry Romanchuk from Chicago, same thing, three players lost. Round five, the the Islanders take Larry Horning from the Blues who fill with John Arbor and Billy McMillan of the Maple Leafs goes to the Flames and the Leafs fill with Denny DuPerry. Round six, the Ranger, or the Islanders, I keep doing that. Uh, the Islanders take Brian Lefley from the New York Rangers, although he was reported as Brian Leslie at that time. Rangers filled with a guy by the name of Steve Andresik. Atlanta took Randy Maneri from Detroit, a darn good pick. Round seven, the Islanders get Brian Spencer from the Maple Leafs who filled with Guy Trottier, and veteran Keith McCreary went to Atlanta from Pittsburgh, who put Eddie Shack back on their list. The eighth round, Terry Crisp to the Islanders and the, the Blues filled with Noel Picard, who's recovering from that badly broken ankle. The Flames get Ernie Hickey from California and the Seals put Wayne Carlton back on their list. Round nine, Ted Hampson from Minnesota to the Islanders and Lou Morrison from the Flyers to the Flames. In the 10th round, New York gets Jerry Hart from Detroit. Atlanta gets Lucien Grenier from Los Angeles. In the 11th round, John Shella goes from Vancouver to the Islanders. And the Canucks, filled with John Wright, Atlanta got Billy Plager from the Blues. 12th round, Islanders get a guy named Bill Mickelson from the Kings who would probably set a record for the highest minus rating in a couple of years. You'll find out about that. Atlanta took Morris Stefano from the Rangers. Never heard of him? I hadn't either. 13th round, Craig Cameron to the Islanders, and Atlanta selected John Stewart from Pittsburgh. 14th, uh, the New York took Tommy Miller from Buffalo, The Sabres put Danny Lawson back on their list. And Atlanta took Bobby Leader from Pittsburgh. In the fifteenth round, Brian Marshenko goes from Toronto to the Islanders. Atlanta gets Pat Quinn from Vancouver. In the 16th, the Islanders took Ted Taylor from Vancouver. And Atlanta, Larry Hale from Philadelphia. Seventeenth round, the Islanders get Norm Ferguson from the SEALs. And Atlanta got Billy Hindle from Minnesota. Round 18, New York took defenseman Jim Mayer from Philadelphia, Atlanta chose Frank Hughes. New York took Ken Murray from Buffalo with their last pick in Atlanta, took Rod Zane from Buffalo. There was a bit of player movement on Tuesday as well. The New York Raiders announced the signing of defenseman Mike Robitaille from Buffalo. But I have a feeling that one's not going to take. And Doug Favell returned to the Flyers, turning down a pretty good offer from WHA Ottawa. The NHL Rules Committee was busy on Tuesday. The, uh, they announced at the opening session on Monday and then followed up on Tuesday that the NHL was going to impose stiffer penalties on players who use illegal twigs. There was a great deal of controversy late last season when several players were charged with using illegal sticks and at that time the league had a mandate to issue stiff fines but not to penalize the player during the game. Now, the new rules state that a player using an illegal stick will receive a two-minute minor penalty in addition to the $200 fine. All sticks must conform to the NHL standards with the blade of the stick be between two and three inches wide. A new instrument has been developed to measure sticks And the game timekeeper will be in charge of measuring any questionable blades. An investigation will be made only if the opposing team questions the legality of any player's stick. False claims will cost the complaining team a whole $100. But the rules committee did do one other thing. They turned down what came to be known as the LACO rule. Former Canucks coach Hal Laco, now an executive with the team, had proposed a new rule, or actually an amendment to a rule, uh, the NHL two-line pass rule. He proposed that the league now allow a player to pick up a pass or an errant puck that was uh, generated in his own defensive zone, and they Hal wanted... The player to be able to pick up the puck Over the center red line If the puck preceded him Over said line Now the wise old men of the NHL Laughed that one off and said that Would never happen Another thing, uh, another note From uh, sort of rules related Veteran referee John Ashley Retired from the National Hockey League And nary a tear Was shed a few more notes from Tuesday. Fighting Saints of the WHA did, as we mentioned, get Terry Ball later in the day. And they also got George Morrison from the Buffalo Sabres. And the Sabres had been counting on this talented left winger. Uh, in a, Here's a really weird move that happened with the Philadelphia Blazers. Their owner announced the first general manager of the Philadelphia Blazers would be former U.S. Olympic coach, Murray Williamson a pretty good choice everybody thought four hours later the Blazers announced that they had lost their first general manager Murray Williamson reconsidered and four hours after being introduced as the GM he quit and informed the Blazers he was not going to be a general manager in the WHA Hockey fans, the pursuit for the Stanley Cup is on and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the National Hockey League, has an unbelievable offer for the most exciting playoffs in sports. New customers can bet $5 on any team to win and you get $100 in free bets no matter what, win or lose. Looking to turn a small bet into a big payday during the playoffs? With DraftKings Same Game Parlays, you can do... Just that. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets like which team will win, how many goals will be scored, and much more. It's your shot at an even bigger payout. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. So, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TH. N. You bet $5 on any NHL team to win, and you get $100 in free bets no matter what. That's code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. There are minimum age and eligibility restrictions that I do apply, and see our show notes for all the details. One of the front runners in the California Seals coaching sweepstakes is Terry Gray, the former coach of the Nova Scotia Voyageurs. This year, the playing coach with the Columbus Seals of the International Hockey Leagues. And that was before he became the executive assistant to Gary Young, the Seals GM. Now, Gray was asked if he wanted to become the Seals coach. And Gray, a very realistic young man, simply looked the reporter in the eye and said, I'm too young to die. Bill Torrey of the New York Islanders has thrown out the last lifeline in the NHL to Carl Brewer. Brewer, who's one of the greatest defensemen in his era, actually, very intelligent, very good defenseman, was ignored in the interleague draft and in the expansion draft because all the owners and general managers figure that Carl is just too hard To handle. Now, Tory said, uh, I wasn't really going to ignore him. He said, I'd done a lot of gambling up to now, and I think I could gamble on Brewer if I had to. But Cliff Fletcher was a little more uh, succinct. Fletcher said, I've had one experience with Carl Brewer, never again. Rogie Vashon whose broken kneecap took all the steam out of the Kings after he'd been traded off from the Canadians last season still hasn't recovered from the injury but Rogie says he's joined the Montreal Amateur Athletic Association he says Bill Head the physiotherapist told him that if he showed up three or four times a week for treatment he would be 100% no time and that is what he's going to do. Two really big stories on Wednesday. Other things were going on, but these were the big ones. The Hockey Hall of Fame announced its newest inductees, and this was significant because two of the new folks going in were not even eligible for the hall, and one who was was inexplicably passed over. The other big story was the reveal of who would coach the Canadian pros against the Russians in September, and that, of course, would be no surprise. The Hall of Fame waived its five-year waiting period and announced that Gordie Howe and John Belleville would immediately be inducted into the hallowed hall. Joining them would be the great Bernie Boom Boom Jeffreon, who played for Canadians and Rangers, and Bruins owner Weston Adams Sr. in the builders category. Very conspicuous by his absence was Doug Harvey regarded as the greatest defenseman of all time, at least up until the arrival of Bobby Orr. Lots of bitter words from Doug and others over this glaring omission. Uh, The most likely reason for the Hall of Fame snub of Doug was the fact that he was very instrumental. In fact, he led the push to establish a players association in the late 1950s and early 1960s, and this by the NHL owners and the guys who make the rules was payback to Doug Harvey. Why? Because that's how the NHL dug business. Old white men doing old white men things, of course. No Doug Harvey, but they took care of their buddy Westy, though, didn't they? Doug was at the NHL meetings uh, doing business with his new scouting company, and he, uh, he was pretty angry at what happened. Uh, Doug told uh, a reporter for the Montreal Gazette, I don't even want to be named anymore. If they name me, I wouldn't accept. He said, you know, how unbellable they made a a they made a, an exception for them. He says, if they want to change the rules at their convenience, uh, just to put in a couple of guys who didn't really do anything for the players in the form of uh, an association, then I don't want to have anything to do with this. Doug's old defense partner with the Canadians was Tom Johnson now coach of the Bruins and here's what Tom Johnson had to say there's no question about Doug Harvey being the best defenseman next to Orr ever Doug Harvey deserves to be in the Hockey Hall of Fame the other big story of course was Harry Sinden being named coach of the professional team that will play the Russians in September. And Harry was presented as a coach by the steering committee set up by Hockey Canada, which is, of course, in charge of the series. Harry immediately made it clear that his role will include far more than tapping NHL All-Stars on the back for line changes. Harry says, I'll select the team. He'll probably start with 50 or 60 players, so he says, and narrow it down to 35 to be invited to training camp, which will be held at Maple Leaf Gardens in Toronto. Of course, Hockey Canada was given the use of the gardens, free of charge by Harold Ballard, so the teams could train and play there. The national team will also have the services of Leafs trainer Joe Scro and the medical staff under the direction of Dr. David Hastings. The players we use, Hendon said, will depend partly on the dates which are now being negotiated for the games. But he said, supposing uh, the second... uh, The series opens in Canada in September. We'll have 35 players to training camp on August 14th. After the first three or four days, I think we'll have uh, some pretty good intra-squad games going on. The steering committee, Harrisenden says, the steering committee sees the importance of demonstrating how players develop in Canada. And I agree, so our team will include some of the younger players, such as Gilbert Perrault and Rick Martin of the Sabres, and others like Marcel Dion. Sinden says he thinks it's important we have a good sprinkling of youth. Sinden thought the top choice of the junior draft, Bill Harris, should be on the team at least to get good exposure for hockey in Canada below the professional level. Sinden was asked about criticism expressed by such NHL governors as Bill Jennings of New York and Weston Adams of Boston that a group of all-stars would be inferior to a regular NHL team. Adams had even suggested as an example that the Toronto Maple Leafs would be better than an all-star group. Sinden said this, let me say this, has any all-star team ever had this much time together to train? I think I have the best players in the world to choose from. I don't feel we'll come out short at either end. And speaking of that series, Clarence Campbell, an HL president, uh, has nothing to do with the series. He keeps saying, yet he's demanding that the uh, Canada portion of the Canada-Russia series be delayed until at least November. Why? Well, because he would like to see Bobby Orr play, and he figures by November, Orr will be fully recovered from that knee surgery he underwent this week. That chance of the Russians accepted that one. Or did have that surgery? By the way, this very week, they're saying it went well, and he's going to be ready this fall. But it would be a stretch to think Bobby Orr will be ready to play against the Russians. A little bit of uh, player news for uh, Wednesday: The New York uh, Daily News was reporting that. The Chicago Cougars of the World Hockey Association were aggressively pursuing Walt Kachuk, Dale Rolfe, and DeMarco of the Rangers, while the New England Whalers were hot after Rod Gilbert. There were some signings. Edmonton uh, put out a bunch of them. They signed Eddie, center Eddie Joyelle, defenseman Bob Wall, Al Hamilton, Doug Barry, Roger Cody, and forwards Brian Carlin and Ross Perkins. The Whalers did get a player, a good one. Right winger Tom Webster who missed most of last season with back troubles. Webster and John Danby, a Boston University right winger, signed with the Whalers and the the Philadelphia Blazers made it official that Andre Lacroix was leaving the Chicago Blackhawks to join their team. Gordy Labossier also signed with Houston of the WHA. Labossier had been sold by the North Stars to the Islanders along with Dick Paradise. Now that seems rather innocuous. They just sold them, But the Islanders did not pay cash for either of the rights to Le Bossier or Paradise. No. What they did is they agreed before the draft not to select North Stars goalie, Gilles Gilbert. So Poole, New York had to settle for a guy named Bill Smith of the LA Kings. And that really didn't turn out too bad, did it? That wasn't all the skullduggery going on around that draft. Montreal also made a deal with the Islanders to ensure certain Habs were not drafted. The Habs sent goalie Dennis DeJordi after the draft to the Islanders along with four other players in exchange for those Guys being selected, namely, you know, Bart Crashley being picked first. So the Islanders get the extra goalie, Dennis DeGiordi, and Uh, Some other players you've never heard of. Uh, Former SEAL Tony Featherston, another minor leaguer Murray Anderson, and two amateurs, one named Alex Campbell, whose main claim to fame had been back in 64. He was part of a trade that sent Ken Dryden from Boston to Montreal when they were all about 16. And a young goalie in a U.S. uh, university by the name of Glenn Resch. Looks like the New England Whalers are starting to uh, put together some plans to actually have ice to play on next winter. They say they have 15 to 19 dates on which they can play home games at the Boston Gardens, and they will, they say, announce another New England arena site a little bit later this summer. Bobby Clark was named the Bill Masterton Trophy winner for this season, and another uh, uh, honor announced this week calgary centennial's junior a goalkeeper john davidson he he, uh native of calgary was honored as the city of calgary's athlete of the year and wednesday the rangers and blues completed that earlier steve durbano deal in return for the honor of paying most of durbano's bail bills when he inevitably gets arrested The Blues sent goalie Peter McDuffie and forward Kurt Bennett to the Rangers. Thursday, the big news was the NHL's announcement of the next two expansion teams. The cities of Kansas City and Washington were the so-called lucky recipients of the rights to be embarrassed on a nightly basis for their first few years in the league. The Kansas City group had a bunch of people heading it, including the son of New York Rangers president William Jennings, while Washington's main man was Abe Pollin, owner of the Baltimore Bullets. But Pollin had backing from people no less than Richard Nixon, president of the United States, who said if the NHL would put a team in Washington, he would make sure that an arena was built there. Now, neither city was as far along as many other candidates as far as arenas go. Kansas City and Washington have no rinks at this point in time, but they had something that the other cities lack when it comes to the NHL, political connection, because that's the way the NHL Old Boys Club does business, don't you know? The first round of the amateur draft went Thursday. That was a far more uh, important piece of business to be conducted on this day. We'll give you those first 16 players who went. Billy Harris from the Toronto Marlboros to the New York Islanders, Jacques Richard to Atlanta. As we told you, Don Lever ended up in Vancouver and Steve Shutt went to the Canadians using Los Angeles pick. Wouldn't Steve Shutt look great out with the Kings. The fifth choice went to Buffalo. Jimmy Schoenfeld from Niagara Falls Flyers. Montreal picking again from the California Seals. This another trade. They pick goalie Bunny LaRock from Ottawa. And Sam Pollock told Bunny he's got a chance to make the team. Number seven was a center from Kitchener Rangers. Billy Barber to the Philadelphia Flyers. The eighth pick from Pittsburgh to montreal again and they took dave gardner from the marlboros the center of that gardner harrison shut line st louis blues choosing ninth got wayne merrick from ottawa the rangers had detroit's pick at 10th and they took a right wing from kitchener by name of al blanchard the 11th pick belonged to toronto who took a marlboro center george ferguson Minnesota, picking 12th, took Jerry Byers from Kitchener. Chicago, 13th, got a gem as far as I was concerned in Bill Russell, uh, an Edmonton junior. Montreal, again, with their own pick at 14th. A big, hard-shooting defenseman from Guelph named John Van Boxmeer. The Rangers, with their own pick at 15th at St. Catherine's center Bobby McMillan who was out a lot with injury but I watched him play a lot and the final pick of the first round of the draft to the Boston Bruins a hulking center Mike Bloom who of course main claim to fame was he got himself arrested during the Memorial Cup in Quebec in 1971. Thursday was also the day for the reverse draft. Now the reverse draft is something really interesting. This is where the minor league clubs can pick from players uh, on the NHL team reserve list for $15,000. No NHL team could lose more than two players. And these players were basically at the bottom of all the clubs list. And the NHL teams could not participate, but they did manage to do so in kind of a roundabout way. Now, here's some of the picks up. Tidewater of the American League took Larry Mavity from the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, Don O'Donohue, the former SEAL, went to Rochester of the American League from Boston. Salt Lake City of the Western League took goalie Marv Edwards, who was owned by the Maple Leafs, but actually... Uh, in a roundabout way was owed to the SEALs organization who owned Salt Lake. Uh, There was a couple of other interesting ones. Uh, One here, Baltimore of the American League, drafted their own goalie, Jim Shaw, who was property of the Chicago Blackhawks. Now, why would they do that? Well, guess what? Baltimore's general manager, Terry Reardon, pretty sharp guy and what Terry was up to here he was trying to make a deal and he did to get some players supplied by the new Atlanta Flames so the Flames of course want some depth they asked Terry if they could have his goalkeeper who was of course Jim uh, Jim, Jim Shaw. Shaw didn't belong to Terry he belonged to the Blackhawks Terry said he would draft his own goalkeeper and then he would of course sell him to the Flames and that's exactly what he did. Another note late Thursday about the Canada Russia series Alan Eagleson denied that television rights for the forthcoming Canada Russia series have been sold but the cat may be out of the bag already anyway. McLaren Advertising announced it had obtained the rights eagleson released this statement i spoke today with joe grant of licensing corporation of america who i understand is on the television rights committee with alan scott of hockey canada and don ruck of course of the nhl mr grant has advised me that he has no knowledge of such an agreement I understand from Mr. Ruck that he has no knowledge of such an agreement. That being the case, I can only presume that no rights have been granted McLaren advertising and that the television rights are still open to the highest bidder. I think the Eagle probably made a promise he didn't keep, and now he looks like he backpedaling in a little bit. Some interesting quotes from this week's meetings in the NHL. Bunny LaRock never laughed for confidence A reporter talked to him and said asked him out what do you think about uh, shooting for the backup job in montreal and bunny says you say i'm up against wayne thomas and michelle plash for the number two position on the canadians nets nonsense i'm not shooting for number two i'm going for number one scotty bowman was asked if there was something wrong with the draft systems in the nhl meaning of course the expansion draft the the interleague draft the amateur draft the whole thing scotty says i love the whole system the way it is right now i think expansion's great if it weren't for expansion i wouldn't have a job today cliff fletcher general manager of the flames has this to say It feels a lot better to be here this year than it did last year. That was after he was fired as assistant GM of the St. Louis Blues. Cliff said last year he sat in a corner and hardly anybody even looked at him. Cliff says, you find out fast who your friends are. Scotty Bowman was the best. He called me at least two or three times a week the whole time I was out of work. Here's a bit of insight from the type of player who was typically... Uh, very eager to go to the World Hockey Association. Mike Heineman, uh, he played for the Boston Braves and he bolted to the WHA New England Whalers. And here in Mike's own words are why he left. Mike says, I got fed up. Because I was in the Canadians organization And they trade players around like cattle They sold me to Oakland For a quote undisclosed sum Last year And then Oakland sold me back And nobody ever told me a thing about it I wanted to stay in Boston And play with the Braves But Pollock wouldn't sell me to them Under any condition I know I'm no star And there's no way I'd ever be able To make the Canadians They know it too but they still refused to sell me. They didn't want to use me or lose me. I had no choice but to jump to the WHA. Ned Harkness was out uh, making friends and influencing people this week. I don't disagree with the point Ned is making here. I disagree in his characteration, characterization of uh, what, he, what he says about players here. Ned says, I don't think a player is any less tough if he wears a helmet. There's a lot of big tough guys playing football who wear helmets because it's the rule, Ned. Guys who refuse to wear helmets are stupid. And if you're not any tougher, because you're stupid. Of course, in the various scrums that are going on, there's always a smart ass who's making comments uh, just the way some hockey people are, whether they're writers, broadcasters, or even just... Hangers-on with the various teams And in one such scrum Somebody commented that Bobby Orr had died on the operating Table during his knee surgery Upon which Jack Riley The general manager of the Pittsburgh Penguins said I'll take him anyway One of the uh, Dilemmas I guess you could say that Sam Pollock faced, he was Really torn early On in the uh, amateur draft uh, Thinking of whether he's going to take Steve Shutt, the left winger on that big junior line, or center Dave Gardner, whose father Cal was a sniper in the NHL. And Claude Ruel had the final word, and he's the guy who convinced Pollock to take Steve Shutt. Ruel told Pollock, You always told me to take first the man who opens the light. Shut opens the light more. Now, Ruel prefers the scorers to the checkers because, all things being equal, you can teach a man defensive hockey, but you can only be born with a scoring touch. There's this nugget from Milt Schmidt, general manager of the Bruins. This was uh, really some insight that we should have gotten before. Uh, And he's talking about Harry Sinden being chosen to coach a Canadian professional team. And he said that he was delighted that Harry Sinden was picked for the job although Schmidt says I still say to hell with the Canada Russia series now Schmidt went on to say that Harry Sinden's a great coach in Boston has always got the bad rap for letting him go it was according to Schmidt no one's fault Sinden's contract renewal according to Schmidt was never negotiated properly Schmidt feels that Sinden resigned before the club could make him another offer And so that's how history was made. Canadian's number 12 pick of John Dan Bo- John Boxmere, the Guelph defenseman, Guelph of the Southern Ontario Tier 2 Junior A League. That was the highest selection with the least advanced fanfare in the entire draft. Now, he played in Guelph not because he wasn't good enough for the OHA Major Junior A. He had been spurned by the Hamilton Red Wings as a 16-year-old, and he vowed to stay with the man who gave him a job, Brent Medill, the general manager of Guelph. On Van Boxfeer's orders, Medill rejected a four for one trade offer from the Toronto Marlboros last year. Teddy Green is available in a trade and if no one deals for him, he might end up winding uh wind up playing for the WHA Winnipeg Jets or maybe the AHL Boston Braves. Tom Johnson said, Teddy's the kind of player who performs best when he gets work, and I can't give him the work he needs because I only use four defensemen. Four defensemen in an NHL game. That's the way it was in 1972. So that's this week's show, everyone. And what did we learn from a very, very busy hockey news week, the NHL meetings uh, actually kind of drew up the plans for the next few years in professional hockey and what did we learn about it well we learned that Atlanta and Long Island got their alleged NHL rosters this week their goalies are pretty good but they're gonna be awfully busy next winter Gordie Howe Jean Belleville were named to the Hockey Hall of Fame and Doug Harvey was not and we know why Sam Pollock once again showed us all why he is hockey's godfather. We'll be back uh, in a couple of weeks. We're going to take a bit of a break here. We have some plans to put out uh, maybe a couple of uh, episodes from the past just to kind of keep you in the loop with things, keep you having some content during the off season. And after we get back from the Maritimes, we'll have lots more this summer. The 50 Years Ago in Hockey podcast is produced by Andy Cole. I can't thank Andy enough for all his hard work on this. Andy produces podcasts professionally. If you're thinking of starting one up, get hold of me and I'll hook you guys up. The very popular Juno-nominated Toronto indie rock group, the Rural Alberta Advantage, provides our intro and exit music. If you ever get a chance to see him perform live, don't miss the opportunity. They put on a great high-energy show. Andy, Andy Cole crafts the other musical pieces you hear in the podcast, and he does all the sound effects as well. Our research comes from files of the Toronto Star, the Toronto Globe and Mail, and of course, all the fine publications found at newspapers.com. Don't forget our other sponsor, the Breakwall Brewing Company in beautiful downtown Port Colborne, Ontario. Later on this summer, if any of you happen to be in the Niagara region, let me know and we'll meet up at the break wall for a beer and a burger. You can find us every day on Twitter at Ad Hockey 50 Years. We're on Facebook under the 50 Years Ago in Hockey banner. Our WordPress site, Hockey50YearsAgo.com. And right here every week on the Hockey Podcast Network. Thanks for tuning in everyone. And on that note, we will see you next time. When the-